Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. During Lent, the, past, the previous six weeks, we're using these different I am statements. They're these metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself so people can get a, a, maybe a different glimpse of his identity. He says things like, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd. And today we're going to look at the one that makes the most sense to me for Easter. I'm the resurrection and the life. And we'll talk a bit about the context around that. I'm wondering if any of y'all, have any of y'all heard of these things called blue zones? Anybody? All right. Y'all are not well informed. So this is what a, a blue zone. There are these five areas of the world where people live longer and healthier than in other places. It's, it's these these researchers have discovered, or these, these again, five areas where you got the oldest men tend to live longer and women tend to live longer, or people outlive average U.S. lifespan, spending way less on healthcare. You can see the list behind me there. And there, there's a lot of research being done in these communities, and they've isolated these nine factors, and they're what you think they would be, these nine factors that contribute to a longer, healthier life, things like you know, sleeping, uh, prioritizing sleep, having a sense of purpose, an active lifestyle, plant-based diet, eating until you're 80% full, which is not American at all. So but those are the, again, it's what, it's what you think of. And there's people who've been spending a, a lot of energy, time, and money pouring into this. You've got MDs, PhDs, kind of the, the health kind of nutty people. You've got money, you've got technology people. A lot of folks are focused on these five blue zones. They're trying to kind of crack the code. How do we live longer and healthier lives? And there's, I don't have any problem with that. You can live as long and healthy as you want to. What we know, and what everybody ultimately knows, no matter how long, if it's 90, if it's 100, if it's 110, if it's 120, if it's 150, no matter how healthy, death always wins, except when it doesn't. And that's what we'll talk about today. Death always wins, except when it doesn't. So there's a guy named Lazarus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're all close friends of Jesus. They live in a place called Bethany. It's a suburb of Jerusalem, just a couple of miles away, small village. And Lazarus is sick. He's really sick. And so Mary and Martha, they send messengers to Jesus. Who's, he's withdrawn from Jerusalem because the religious leaders there are trying to arrest him. And so he's pulled back to a more remote area with his disciples because it's not his time yet. And so he and the disciples are in a bit more of a remote area. Mary and Martha send some messengers to Jesus. We'll just say they do it on Monday just for convenience sake. So they send some messengers to him on Monday and they say the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And the Bible very interestingly says, Jesus loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, so he chooses to stay. Normally, we would think, well, if you love somebody and they're sick, you would, you would go. But the Bible says he loves them, and so he chooses to stay. And he stays Monday, he stays Tuesday, he stays Wednesday. On Thursday, he says to the disciples, let's go to Bethany. Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And they're a little confused. They say, well, surely... He, he'll just wake up. Somebody can wake him up. We don't have to try travel over there to do that, do we? And Jesus says he's dead. He's dead. And that, then we're going to go. And so they travel. Takes them a day to get from to get from where they are to, to Bethany. They walk into town. They learn Lazarus has been dead for four days. So he died on Monday, the day that Martha and Mary sent him a messenger. He died on that day. 
Martha hears that Jesus is in town, so she goes out to meet him, and that's where we're gonna pick up, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, and Martha answered, I know will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. So we, don't, we get, uh, I think it's three different pictures of Martha, one in Luke and a couple in John, and we would say maybe she's stereotyped, kind of a typical oldest daughter. She's super responsible, she's dutiful, she's very practical, she absolutely loves Jesus. She's very practical in the way that that looks and the outworkings of that. She hears Jesus is in town, so she goes out to him and she says, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. I don't hear any criticism in that. I don't hear her griping or complaining. And based on Jesus' response, it's not what she did. What I hear in her is a statement of fact. If you'd been here, you, you could have healed him. And I also hear maybe a bit of guilt. And maybe you've been there at, at some times, like if we had just reached out to you sooner. They waited, and I think they waited probably because they were concerned about Jesus, they lived really close to Jerusalem. They had friends in Jerusalem. They knew that there were religious leaders who were trying to arrest him. And so they, they knew, well, if we, bring, if we tell him to come here, the religious leaders could easily find out and they might arrest him and that, that's no good. And so I think they have this internal tension. Maybe they have this debate between themselves. Maybe Lazarus is a part depending on uh, how, how healthy he is in that moment. And they're debating, well, if, if Jesus can actually help Lazarus, but if he comes, it may be bad for him. And so they gotta go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and they finally reach out to, to, to Jesus, and it's, it's too late. Lazarus dies that day, so I think there's a little bit maybe of that guilt there, and again, you maybe have been there. If we'd just gone to the doctor sooner, if we just caught it a little bit earlier, then we could have done something. But she still has faith. She says to Jesus, even now I know the Father will give you whatever you ask, and Jesus says, your brother Lazarus, he's gonna rise again, and she says, yeah, I know that. I know on the last day, God's gonna raise him up. There's two schools of thought when it comes to the afterlife in Judaism at this point. There's the, the Sadducees, they have a philosophy, and then the Pharisees, they have a philosophy. And all the, the regular folks like us, they all follow the Pharisees. They were heroes uh, to the regular folks, to kind of the common folks, to, to, to us. And the Pharisees believed that when you died, your soul and your body separated, and your soul would kind of hover around your body for three days, and on the fourth day, it would go to a place called Sheol, or in the New Testament, it's called Hades. It's not heaven, it's not hell. It's like a holding tank where souls went, and then at the end, on the last day, God would resurrect the righteous, so the, the, the good, faithful Jews, those who've been circumcised, those who followed the Ten Commandments, and whatever rules and regulations the Pharisees had set in place at that point, and that's what Martha believes, so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, she's like, yeah, I know that. At some point in the distant, unknown future, God will raise up Lazarus because he's been a good and faithful Jew. And Jesus says, I, I'm the resurrection. I'm the rising of the dead. That's a weird thing to say. I'm the rising of the dead, and I'm the life. He's filling out her understanding, this woman who's practical, who's responsible. In my mind, she's a thinker, more of a head person, and Jesus is expressing compassion to her in a way that she's gonna get. He's expanding her understanding. You're, you're right, Martha. 
There is a resurrection at the last day, but let me fill in some blanks for you. It's not based on whether Lazarus was circumcised. It's not based on how well he kept the Ten Commandments. It's not how good and faithful a Jew he's been. It's based on his relationship to me, believing me, trusting me. When we said belief in the Bible, it's not intellectual, it's relational. It's trust, it's faith, it's putting your full weight on who Jesus is and what he says. And, and Jesus says to Martha, that's the key. And because Lazarus trusted me, he's gonna rise again. He's dead, absolutely. He's been in the tomb for four days, but he's gonna rise again. Again, not because he's a good Jew, but because he trusts me. And then he goes even further. There's, there's, he says, I'm not just the resurrection, I'm not just the rising of the dead, I'm also the life, capital L. It's kind of hazy what people believed about the afterlife, and the Old Testament hardly ever speaks about the afterlife. The Jews were much more concerned about how, how God impacted their life here and now. There's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, last book of the Old Testament, first book of the New, and theology developed during those 400 years, but it's still kind of slippery, so we don't know exactly what Martha believed. But there seemed to be this thinking that when you died and your soul and your body separated, that Sheol, Hades, you, were kinda, you, you lived kind of a gray life. You were separated from God to, to some degree. And what Jesus, seems to, and what Jesus is saying, that's not, that's not true. Think about the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus say back? Today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. There's no gap. Because Jesus is life, even death can't separate us from him. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. Neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. Jesus is life, and so even when we die, there's no, there's no separation. We may have to wait until we get a resurrection body. We see Jesus has one of those. It's a real body. He eats. People can see him. They touch him. He's got nail holes in his hands, but he can also walk through walls, and we, we can't do that. So... His body is, it's the same. People can recognize him, but it's also different. It, it's better. And we all get that when Jesus returns. There'll be some people who never have to die at all. That last generation, whoever's on the earth when Jesus returns, Paul says, those guys, they'll, they'll be transformed in the blink of an eye. They're gonna trade the body that they have, this thing, for whatever that resurrection body's gonna look like. But the rest of us, we're gonna die. But even in death, we're not separated from him who's life. Even as we're waiting on that resurrection body, he is the resurrection, but he's also the life. And so we're never separated from him. If we trust him, if we're believing in him, if we have faith in him, those are all different ways of saying the same thing. We're putting the full weight of our life upon him. Then even if we die, we live. We're never separated from him, the source of life. Not even death can do that. Some of you... Today, you're Martha's. You love Jesus, but maybe you're hurt and you're confused. And what you need is a word. You need a word of reassurance. Maybe you need some clarity, some blanks filled in. Jesus is arisen. That means he's alive and he's available to you today. You may not know why you're here, but he does. If you're a Martha in the room, ask him, and he'll speak to you. So after Jesus and Martha have this exchange, then Martha sends for Mary. Mary's in the house. She's mourning. Some of her friends have come from Jerusalem to mourn with her. That's something that we do as well. You go to 
somebody's house when a loved one dies. And so they're in the house and Mary gets word that Jesus is here. So she gets up and leaves and her friends go with her. They assume she's going to the tomb where Lazarus is to, to grieve, but she's going to find Jesus. And we'll pick up there in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. So Mary, we get just a few glimpses of her. She seems very different from her sister Martha. She seems more, if Martha's kind of a head girl, Mary seems more of a heart girl. If the word for Martha is responsible, the word for Mary seems to be devotion. We see her three times, and every time she's seated at Jesus' feet. We'll see her not too long after this, actually the beginning of chapter 12. There's a party, a, a, a dinner, like a banquet, and Mary's there, and she takes her nest egg, this bottle of perfume that's worth a year's salary. Do the math on that. She breaks it open and pours it on Jesus to anoint him for his burial, Washes his, wipes his feet with her hair. She's very extravagant in these expressions of love and devotion. God, excuse me, Jesus speaks to Martha's head, I think, and he speaks to Mary's heart. He actually doesn't say anything, he just asks her a question. She approaches Jesus the exact same way your sister does. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died again. I don't think there's criticism, I don't think there's griping, I don't think there's complaining. It's that same mix of of, of, of I know you could have done something about this with, with guilt, of I, I wish I would have asked you to come earlier. But she continues to trust him. She falls at his feet, posture of devotion and discipleship. And Jesus sees her weeping, and he sees the Jews who are with him, or with her weeping. And then his response is really odd. It seems out of place. My Bible says he was deeply moved in spirit. Yours may have a little bit some different words, it's, it's, it's tricky for people to translate because what it actually says is Jesus was furious. He snorted like an animal. That's what that word is literally. I don't know if he actually snorted, but that's the literal understanding of that word. He was troubled. He shook inside and outside. You ever been so angry that you shook? That's how angry Jesus is. Everybody around him is crying, and he's furious. He's not mad at Mary. He's not mad at the Jews who are crying, he's, he's mad at death. For us, death is part of life. We accept it. As far as I know, there's only two people who never died, a guy named Enoch and a guy named Elijah. Everybody else, uh, the other 120 billion people who've ever been born, they've all died. We're gonna die unless Jesus returns before that happens. Death's undefeated. Wasn't supposed to be that way. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Death is an intruder in God's good creation. Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever, but they sinned, and that opened the door for death. We sin, and that continues to keep the door open for death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is the last enemy to be defeated. Disarmed on the cross still has power. It's been defanged, but it still has some power. And I think what you see in Jesus snorting with anger, trip shaking with anger, you see the response of the creator to what death does to his creation. You see, what, you see how God, how Jesus feels when the people he loves die. And then we read this verse. If you were ever in Sunday school, you had to memorize a verse. This was the one you went to because it's two words. Jesus wept. It's a great one to learn. 
That word weep, it's different. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. When John says Mary wept, he uses a particular word. When he says the Jews wept, he uses the same word. When he says Jesus wept, it's a different one. It means the same thing, to shed tears. But he deliberately chooses a different word. Why? Because his crying is different. Mary and the Jews are weeping because Lazarus is dead. They're grieving. Jesus isn't. When he got up to leave to go to Bethany, he already decided, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not sad. Lazarus is going to be in the tomb for just a few more minutes. He's not crying because Lazarus is in the grave. It's a show of empathy. He's crying with Mary. Think about that. The God of the universe expresses that level of care and concern for one of his children to cry with her. Some of you this morning are Mary. You love Jesus, you trust him. But you're a little bit confused and you're hurt. And what you need, you don't need knowledge, you don't need information, you don't, you're not looking for theological discussion like Martha. What you need to know is that Jesus cares for you. You need to know that he comes alongside you. That he even weeps with you. We just sang that song. Jesus is risen, which means he's available if you'll ask him. Last, Jesus once more is deeply moved. There's that same word for anger. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. For he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus had said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The tomb where Lazarus was buried was much like the one Jesus was buried in. Jews buried in caves, not in the ground like we do. And so the, the idea, they didn't embalm. So you, you die, they put a sheet over you, and they use a strip of linen, and they tie your ankles together. And then another strip, and they tie your arms to your sides, and they put another cloth on your head, lay you in a tomb, put spices on you, roll a stone in front of the tomb. The spices are to cover the smell of decomposition because they're just going to let you decompose. And then in a year, they're going to move the stone. Your family would remove the stone. They'd go in, collect your bones, put them in a box called an ossuary, put that farther in the, in the tomb, and then they could reuse that tomb. It's a, it's, a family, it's a family grave. And so when Jesus says, roll the stone away, Martha's going, he's going to stink. He's been in there for four days. She believed. It's interesting. When, when Jesus says to Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? She says, yes, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world. She gets it. Her understanding of Jesus in the Gospel of John is it's greater than anybody else's. It's on the same level as Peter in Matthew, Mark, and Luke when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And then he says to Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ. That's how that Martha gets it. She doesn't just say, yes, you're the resurrection and the life. She doesn't just say, you're the Messiah, a human who's been empowered by God to deliver us from our enemies. You're the son of God. You're divine and you overcome death. But she still doesn't think Lazarus is coming out of the tomb. 
And so when Jesus says, roll the stone back, she's going, this, this is going to be a disaster. She's practical and responsible. But she does. Jesus says, didn't I tell you? If you trusted me, if you believed me, you'd see the glory of God. So some guys roll the stone back, and then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. You know how the story ends, but put yourself there. What do you really think is going to happen? There's cemeteries all over here. You drive by one today. Somebody's excavated a grave. They've popped open a casket, and they're saying to whoever, come out. What are you doing? You're calling the police. That's what... Lazarus, come out, and he does. Think about the power of Jesus. Three words overcome death who's undefeated. It's a picture of salvation. That's what Jesus does for each one of us. As Jeremy said, salvation is not about making bad people good or good people better. It's bringing dead people back to life, and we were all dead. All of us. Ephesians 2 says we were all dead. In our trespasses and our sins, there's different ways of understanding sin. One is missing the mark. Jesus is the mark, and we miss him all the time. We don't look like him in our actions. Another word for sin is it's a transgression. There's a narrow way, and we, we go our own ways all the time. We trip over the boundary lines and fall out of bounds. We were dead. We were like Lazarus. We were in a tomb. We were in darkness, separated from light and life. And just like with Lazarus, Jesus says, Erica, come out. Mia, come out. Allie, come out. Ryan, come out. He calls every one of us by name. Come out. Some of you are here today. Your, your family brought you. It's not sitting your thing. You're not super comfortable. And again, we're super glad that you were courageous enough to come to a place that maybe you don't really feel at home. Could you, in this room, where you maybe don't feel super comfortable, is there a way for you to settle down in your own heart and mind and to say, that's me. I'm in darkness. I'm separated from the Father. I don't love Jesus. I don't trust him. I'm not following him. But I can recognize I am a sinner. If he's the standard, I do fall short. If there's a narrow road, I'm not walking it. In the midst of that, can you hear him? Calling your name. He's not throwing rocks. He's not slinging lightning bolts. He's not tisk tisking you. saying to you the same thing he said to every one of us. Come out. Nobody here is any better than you are. We were all, according to Ephesians, dead in our transgressions and sins, and out of his great love for us and his mercy, he's given us life. Nobody's better than you. We've heard his voice, and gratefully we've said, yes. If you're Lazarus this morning, he's risen, he's available, he's calling to you. Will you respond?
So Lazarus comes out and he's kind of waddling out because his feet are tied together and his arms are on his side and he's got a sheet on his head. So he's kind of waddling out. And Jesus says, take the grave clothes off of him. Set him free, let him go. Many of us, we've said yes, we've come out of the cave. But honestly, we still smell like death. We have these grave clothes that we're continuing to wear. Ephesians 4 says, take off your old self with its corrupted by its sinful desires and put on a new self that's made to be like God in righteousness and holiness. That fancy word for that is sanctification. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus and it takes a lifetime. We cooperate with the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We're brought to life, but we still have some of the old ways of thinking and some of the old ways of acting. And we continue to engage in those sinful patterns of behavior and thinking. And it, all, they, all it does is trip us up. It's trying, to, it's trying to run with your ankles tied together. It's trying to live with your hands strapped to your side. It's trying to move through life with a, with a pillowcase on your head. That's Lazarus. He's back to life, but he's still constrained and constricted. And Jesus says, let him go. Set him free. And he would say the same thing to every one of us today. Yes, you've tasted life, which is wonderful. He came to give us life fully. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but he's come that we'd have life and have it abundantly, which means without restriction, without constraint. We need to be set free. It's difficult for us. Some of us, we have those pet ways of thinking and behaving that we enjoy. And in our minds, we're thinking, well, I, 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 I'll be raised at the end. I'm on the right team. And what Jesus is sitting there saying is, I came to set you free. To set you free. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. I came to set you free from that. Can you hear him today calling to you? He's risen. And he's come to set you free. Jesus' resurrection is not like Lazarus. Lazarus died again. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know. But he died again. Jesus didn't. 40 days, he appeared to different groups of people, taught them about the kingdom of God. Then he ascends into heaven, picture that, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is right now. Ruling and reigning over everything we can see and everything we can't. He prays for us all the time. And according to the Bible, at some point in the future, we don't know when, but it's certain he's gonna get off the throne and come back and finish what, we, what he started. How do we know that? Because he was raised from the dead. No, nobody else ever, 120 billion people have been born. Nobody else has ever said, I'm gonna die and three days later I'm coming back. Unheard of. You're in this room because that's true. You can't explain the church apart from the resurrection of Jesus. That makes sense. How did he even get started? if he wasn't raised from the dead. Because of that, you can believe the things, I can believe the things that he said. When he says, trust me, it's not a blind leap. Again, he's the only one who ever called his own shot. I'm gonna die and I'm coming back in three days and he did it. If he can do that, you've had a car die before and you've had to pull up another car and jumpstart the battery, that's Lazarus. It's power from outside of him. That's not Jesus. There's no other battery the power in him that he, in and of himself, the power of an indestructible life comes back from the grave. It's mind-blowing. Of course you can trust him. Nobody else can do that. It affirms and confirms everything he says. So when he says, I'm coming back, we can believe it. He's coming back to, 
to, he'll, he'll punish those who reject him. He's going to give them what they ask for, which is life without him, which is death, because he's the source. Those who trust in him, he's going to give eternal life. He's going to remake the earth, taking care of sin and sickness, sadness and death. All that stuff's going to be wiped away. He's going to give you a new body that doesn't decay and doesn't rot. You'll be able to walk through a wall, I think. He's invited you into that. He's risen. You can believe him. You can put the full weight of your life on him. Nobody else can stand up to not even you. You trust yourself. You can trust him more. You're going to die. He died and he rose again. You can trust him. Are you Martha? Ask him for a word. Are you Mary? Ask him for empathy to show you that he cares. Are you Lazarus? Are you still dead? Can you hear him calling you this morning to life? You still have on grave clothes. Can you hear him say, be free? Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for Easter. We're grateful, Jesus, for your resurrection. I pray for everybody in the room, kids, Students, adults, I'm, I, I, we, I'm just grateful for all those that are here. And I pray for every one of us, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us the thing that we most need. I do pray if there are any in the room, and I believe there are, who right now in their most honest moment would say, I'm still in the, I'm still in the tomb. I pray they wouldn't hear me. I pray they would hear you calling them by name, saying, come out. And we pray that they would, that they would experience the freedom of forgiveness, the joy of being born again, of becoming a new creation, of being reunited with you. God, I pray for the Marthas, I pray for the Marys, I pray for those who are still wearing grave clothes. Give us what we most need in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 